Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Food Access, we explore the intersection of real estate and fluid accessibility. Our guest, Alvin Crawford, is the Chief Revenue Officer at Revolution Foods, a company that sources and prepares fresh, healthy meals for school districts and cities across the country. Alvin is also a 20-year veteran in leading strategic initiatives for education and technology ventures. Welcome to the show, Alvin. Welcome, Alvin. Great to be here. Glad to, glad to, glad to hang with the two of you. So looking forward to our discussion. So okay. Alvin, tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into this space. Well, Jamie, I've been a kind of veteran of, of both uh, consulting for big Fortune 50 uh, corporations in, in technology to then uh, doing a bunch of startups in the ed tech space. Equity and the importance of, of providing support for all kids is, has always been a big uh, thing for me. And, you know, Revolution Foods, fortunately, is something that is not just healthy food, but focused on providing um, food to the neediest uh, children and families. So I got excited about uh, the space, the company, the founders, the investors, and uh, have had a great journey. So tell us a little bit about Revolution Foods and, and what you do there. Sure. Revolution Foods was founded about 15 years ago by, by two moms who felt that uh, from a mission perspective, everyone should have access to healthy food. And you know, if you think about school meals, 60% of, of kids get their meals from school. So uh, Rev started with this notion that uh, kids shouldn't just have food, they should have healthy food at school and that the, school, the food should represent kind of their lives and who they are. So giving kids agency. So 15 years ago, the company started, I joined about two years ago. Uh, our focus in terms of where we are now is we historically have been serving about 2 million meals a week uh, to families all over the country. And uh, when I joined, uh, six months in, the pandemic hit. And so we went from just serving uh, K-12 students, culturally responsive food, kind of that meets them where they are. Uh, and really what we always talk about is kid-inspired. We ask kids what they want to eat. Chefs make it, and then we make sure that uh, it is uh, incredibly healthy. So clean label, no artificial sweeteners, colors, flavors, no preservatives, no um, high, yeah, none of the crazy stuff. So, so your, chefs, your chefs are making M&Ms and uh, candy bars? Uh, <laughs> you're asking the kids, uh, how, how long does it take? When is that licorice going to be ready, Bob? It, it's <laughs> I mean, amazing. What, what, what is it that kids want these days? Well, it's amazing that, that kids want vegetables and fruit, but they want it to taste good. And so um, we try not to make it boring. We try to add things to it. We also have a lot of uh, cultural dishes from Caribbean to Latino to, uh, to folks that are, are in communities of color. Um, so there's a mixture of, of food. Um, well, la well, last time I checked, pizza was Italian, right? So is that culturally <laughs> relevant? I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, there, are there are lots of ways to do pizza. I, I think we do a, a whole grain uh, pizza with uh, good quality ingredients. So I, I think you can make lots of different things, but you can 
err on the side of healthy versus lots of preservatives and nitrates and nitrites. So, well, when you make these these uh, these meals, how important is uh, the distribution, the distance you're traveling, refrigeration? I mean, are there certain meals that travel better, and so you're kind of you're hamstrung in terms of what, your 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 choices? Uh, given given the environment we work in, and we work all over the country, we spend a lot of time thinking about what food uh, will carry. So we do think about um, whether food can be frozen, whether food can be uh, on a long haul. So we do think about those factors, and we provide meals in different places according to what the factors are for distro, for distance, uh, and how they're going to use the food. So who's asking for healthy food? Is it the parents? Is it the school districts? Or is it some other entity that's saying, hey, look, you know, kids just in general need to eat healthier and we're going to step up and make a change? So in the early days of the Obama administration, Michelle Obama was pushing for healthy meals just because obesity is a problem. Um, I would say during uh, the pandemic, it became clear that the less healthy you were, the more susceptible you were to coronavirus, which raised consciousness. And then a lot of studies, even a study that came out uh, this week, uh, showed that, that healthy food uh, matters. And so um, I'd say in Boston, for example, the parents got together and said, hey, we don't want unhealthy food. We want healthy food and food that represents us. So they commented there. If you're a good superintendent, you likely care about your kids. And if you care about your kids, you know the importance of healthy food. Lots of studies have come out that looked at, at food quality and how it impacts student achievement. Uh, it matters. Wow, that's a lot. Is there a cost difference between healthy food versus not? I mean, sure. I mean, having a, a clean uh, supply chain is more expensive. Uh, but we, so within K 12, there are reimbursements uh, from the government for. Uh, for food. And we're always under that, but it, it's uh, it's slim. It's narrow. I'd say that you can get uh, bad food for cheaper, but I think if you care about your kids and you care about student outcomes, it's worth it. So who do you have to um, uh, interact with? You have local government in terms of reimbursement. You have the school boards in terms of figuring out uh, the demographic of the schools and the type of uh, of, of uh, meals you want to make? Are there health inspectors involved who decide to determine that it's healthy? I mean, who's navigating through that, uh, that minefield? <laughs> it, it, it is. Everyone says they do healthy. Um, we have a list of 40 41 or 42 ingredients that we don't put into any of it. And that's based on the science. It's based on lots of, of feedback. That's probably mostly what I'm eating, the 41. <laughs> is mine's 41 but, but, sauce count? Is that... Those things are important. Artificial sweeteners, colors, flavors, benzoates, nitrates, all of those things are not, not good. And so we've put together a list. Um, I will say that health inspectors and all of those things are part of, of the food business. But in general, a food service director uh, or someone who's responsible for food insecurity is who we work with. I'd say that there are a lot of influencers like school boards parents uh, and administrators that get in the mix. But the bottom line is healthy food is better for kids and better for uh, adult outcomes overall. So when I think of uh, food at school, I'm I'm old school, the cafeteria, you got your tray, you went down the line, you grabbed a couple of chocolate milks, you had a sandwich option, there was a very nice old lady who would slap the hot food onto your plate. Um, doesn't sound like that's what's going on these days, does it? Actually, some of that is there, but I will tell you that what's different is what kids are getting. 
Uh, so if you think about what we do, we do a lot of marketing to get kids excited about the food. We actually do go in and ask kids what they want to eat. Uh, we then come back and, and have them rate the foods. We have them rate the food throughout and we add new and better uh, meals to it. So we're constantly innovating and cafeterias, at least where we are, are constantly presenting new food options and getting kids to try things um, that may be different uh, than they've had in the past. So you have, you got kids, right? So what, three. Yep. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. So what, what are your kids eating? I mean, do your kids um, enjoy the food? Do you, do your kids request different types yes. of foods to eat? Like, so I will tell you that, that, uh, first of all, my wife uh, eats healthy and I'll tell you that before my wife, I probably ate really unhealthy meals. Uh, but now I do a lot more healthy eating. Uh, so they're accustomed to that. But I'll, I'll tell you, I had a box of, of food sh uh, from Revolution Food shipped home and my kids gave all the meals a thumbs up. <laughs> nice. So I'm excited about that. They're but, taste but testing. That, nice. that, is the, uh, that is the whole thing is making sure that the kids love what, what you do. Go ahead. Alvin, you mentioned school boards, you mentioned parents. So the question becomes, how important is a school food program to people's determination as to where they want to live. Schools is always a big part of uh, decisions on, you always hear parents, what are the schools like? They're always asking the broker, where does the food aspect come into that? So now if you're, if you're upper and middle class, I will tell you that there are parents that make decisions about whether they're going to do the, the school meal program or they're going to send um, their kids with a lunch every day. And so they care a lot. And I'll also say that in um, free and reduced, which are poor families, uh, they care a lot too. And so they make decisions as well. But I will say that for a public school system, if there's a charter nearby that, that provides better food, that starts to sway whether they stick with a public school or go to the charter, to be honest with you. Well, I mean, there is some people don't have a choice, right? And well, with charter, I think they do. But but you're right. You really want, and that's where advocacy comes in. But go ahead, Alex. Right. No. So there, you know, there's a food equity challenge around the country and also around the world to a certain extent. And there are people that are in cities and or communities that just are considered food deserts, right. and. Um, one of the incentives to get their kids into school is maybe partially an education, but also partially so that they can have food to eat uh, every single day. And so food, education go hand in hand, food, communities and where you live go hand in hand. You know, I, I, how are, how is, is what you're doing? How's the work that you're doing in the communities and in schools impacting how people live and, and where Very they cool. live? So it's critical on two parts. I mentioned the shift in the pandemic. We have been feeding a lot of adults. We've probably did about 30 million meals for adults across the country during the pandemic. And I will tell you that with children, uh, parents come out uh, and they rely on seven day meal boxes that we provide during the pandemic. When you have a food desert, you don't have access to fresh fruit and vegetables. And so these meals are kind of what they rely on on a daily basis. And I will say with adults at one point in our work with World Central Kitchen, we were probably um, feeding in, across the country 250,000 
meals a day. But in addition to that, um, the work that we've done in New York City around Get Food, in New Orleans, uh, in in LA with homeless, in Austin, uh, and also in Oakland and, and Santa Clara counties, it's just been incredible um, how much families, uh, uh, individuals rely on the food that we provide. We've had amazing testimonials from people who are stuck in their houses, seniors who, who rely on a daily basis on the meals that we're providing. It's, it's amazing. That's a, so that's a pivot for you guys, right? Or is that, is that an, is an extension of your business or is it a shift? It was a huge pivot. I, I will say that uh, one, when the pandemic hit, our business went down to 4% of normal for the first week. And we kind of marched back. Fortunately, we did have partnerships um, in place that then started to request meals. And I think that that was incredibly compelling uh, for us to be able to work with, uh, with adults as well. And the need during the pandemic has been insane. And uh, as you shift to uh, providing food to adults or, um, or seniors, does that change the makeup of the meal? And does that affect your sourcing or your ability to distribute or the refrigeration or all that stuff? All of the above. Unfortunately, product development is a big area for us. So we had our chefs uh, make meals that adults love. And in doing that, we did have to, to increase our supply chain. We had to increase the volume uh, in terms of the amount of food that goes on each plate and some of the, the unitized plating as well. Uh, but you know what became really clear to us is the need there was huge, and we were able to do it efficiently because we'd been used to working under um, really trim budgets, so we could provide higher volumes of meals for a pretty inexpensive price. But I, I'd say that we've done a lot of work uh, on on food design. Who gets a better dessert, the adult or the kid? We actually don't provide dessert. Uh, <laughs> and that's really the end of this podcast. <laughs> we provide really yummy meals. I think most it's people like are fruits. I'm sure you do. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so notice is that because dessert is there's a logistics to dessert that just it's just not as easy to provide a dessert on the edge of no, the because tray desserts aren't aren't healthy. They aren't healthy. Yeah, we provide fruit, and fruit is really good. This we is provide really uh, getting depressed by this whole podcast. Some, some, yeah, we don't do chocolate milk. We're trying to. This is a nightmare. My nightmare scenario, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, our double stuff Oreos and that big ice cream sundae. No, we don't do that stuff. That's. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny that um, the world is changing, right? Obviously, COVID uh, changed everything. Uh, but at the same time, the, there was a trend before COVID uh, of prepared meals being delivered, right? And so you have um, the, the companies like HelloFresh and Blue Apron that send you food that you can prepare. You have other companies that that send the prepared meals, you just stick in the, the microwave. And it seemed like COVID just accelerated that whole trend. Absolutely. And Absolutely. So, so I feel like that's happening around across the board, particularly in your company, it seems like it's an extension of that trend. And we're kind of all going to be moving potentially towards a prepared future. Absolutely. And I'll say we are working on some of those projects. So we do home delivery in some places. And in fact, we're working with a digital health provider um, who now has our meals uh, as a benefit. If you think of, of companies like Google and, and other big companies that used to provide a cafeteria and now their folks are working from home 
And, you know, a, a mom or dad who's busy working on Zoom, it's hard for them to, to make a meal. <laughs> so uh, they were relying on kind of freshly prepared meals. We ship out um, 10 meal boxes um, to families uh, so that they can heat and serve meals. But I will say that even with the blue aprons of the world, you still have to spend 45 minutes making the meal. And when you can stick something in the microwave or in the oven and heat it and it comes out perfectly, that is appealing to a lot of people for sure. Now, are you finding that? So, granted, one of the complaints that I have about prepared meals is just is not enough food. And I feel like I'm being rationed <laughs> to a certain extent because there's just not enough food in the tray and I'm always hungry afterwards. And then what, what happens when you're hungry after you eat a healthy meal? You snack and you snack on bad stuff and then it just kind of defeats the purpose. So, is there, is there a, uh, a kind of a universal understanding of how much food we should be consuming and thus you guys are forcing communities to eat a certain amount of food a day? Yeah, no, I will say that that different people vary on how much food they serve. Uh, you know, I, I think a, a, about a, a pound of, of food is, is probably a good amount uh, of a mix of things. And so I, I will say that that when I have sampled the food across all of our meal sets, especially for adults, I'm full and it's not, and I'm a healthy eater. So I would say that I think people vary. If you look at a lean cuisine or, or, or some of the other meals, they may be smaller. Um, but generally I'd say that people are, are, are pretty satisfied when, when they're eating a meal that's about that size. I think they say that, that your stomach takes 15 minutes to send the a signal to the brain that you're full. So a lot of people advise if you stop eating and just wait a little while, <laughs> You won't, you won't want to finish that plate. I mean, it sounds that, funny, but I think that's accurate. That, that is accurate. I, actually, some people will get appetizers versus a main course because in the U.S. we tend to serve bigger portions and most people overeat because of it. But a lot of people will get appetizers, uh, a, a set of appetizers rather that may cost more, but rather than the amount of, of food that goes on a typical restaurant plate. I would agree. When, I'm, when, I, when I'm in a restaurant, sometimes I'll, I'll put a line through one third of the pasta and I'll move it to the other <laughs> side of the dish, you know, and exactly. I'll finish the pasta. Then everyone's sitting there talking. I'll carve maybe a third of the third and then a half of the third. And by the time the meal's over, it's all gone. Well, I mean, that's, doesn't it help to just have to talk maybe during your meal? I mean, I mean 15 yeah, minutes. Because everybody knows if there's one thing I don't do, it's talk. Well, I will say this, and this is a broader picture of, of health and healthy eating. Um, we, there's a high level of obesity in this country. Yeah, there's probably not enough uh, care put into helping kids and families understand kind of the health continuum. And then with the amount of unhealthy food, this study that just came out uh, it talks a lot about the fact that there's so much unhealthy food in, in uh, grocery stores and, and other, other places. And so this notion is one, we should eat less, two, we should think about what we put in our mouths. Uh, and healthy food matters. Uh, I think a lot of us who are getting older start to recognize from our doctors that we can have diabetes and other things that come because of what we eat. And so it's always better to both work out as well as to eat healthy. And so more and more people are coming to that. Oh, nice. I'm going to introduce this, this debate, right? Which is the, um, the meat versus beef, chicken versus no meat, 
versus vegetarian and all that. So where do you stand? Where do you and your company stand on the, the, the fight between meat and meatless? Uh, there's a issue that you didn't raise in there, but I, I think that what's clear is that meat is a large part of global warming. The, the ability to, to process meat and, and all that goes into meat has an impact on our environment and is probably not as good for you in the long term. So we are definitely thinking about how you do more and more plant-based. Uh, we're not fully plant-based, but, but we do recognize that as good global citizens, you should think about kind of um, the mix. And so we do a lot more plant-based than we did in the past. And my doctor told me I should be eating meat once a week, so I changed doctors. <laughs> so, so we on the show we we had a um we were we've been talking about a lot of different things in terms of access to to food uh and we we talked about urban farming mm -hmm. and uh the the proximity in which communities source food so i wanted to talk to me a little bit about uh how you prepare the foods like where do you prepare the, them um, where do you source your your uh, your ingredients uh, and all that stuff associated with how your food is created and delivered? Sure. So we are conscious uh, uh, providers, and so we think about what's called good food purchasing. Um, what good food purchasing talks about local. It talks about kind of uh, the types of, of food that you, you do as well. And so we have eight culinary centers across the country. We do national sourcing, but we do also focus a fair bit of, of our sourcing locally. So we try to find local providers so we can both support the economy locally. Uh, we can drive less uh, to, uh, to allow our supply chain to get uh, to activate our supply chain. And so we definitely think about local. Uh, we also think about farm. So we think a lot about how do you support uh, the ecosystem locally, uh, as well as we have some national products. I think what's good about what we do is we have consistent uh, uh, menuing uh, across all of our, our, our centers, but then we source locally to get kind of local products. And and pull those into our menus. Um, our facility is one, they're larger, where they have big uh, lines where all of the things are compiled into the tray, they're pro-sealed uh, and then shipped out uh, to our partners. So we do so are you, are you, you cook overnight and then ship during the day? Uh, so we actually, what I say is we compile, and just to be clear about what that means, because a lot of our, our food is meant to be heated and served. Uh, we generally have a lot of different products that come in. We then compile those in a tray and, and make those ready. If there are rices and, and things that we add spices to, we cook those in the cauldrons really early in the morning. And then, the cauldrons? And those big, and those big, and those big cooking. <laughs> <laughs> and those big no, these are seriously big rice and 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 sauce uh, things. Is that, that the thing the Joker uh, fell in? Is that how the Joker was from? <laughs> exactly. the cauldron? They are they are human sized uh, uh, cooking uh, pots. So <laughs> not for humans, right? <laughs> for rice, just just for, for exactly <laughs> rice and and sauces and 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 all sorts of other other things. 
Now, Alvin, you have a history of working uh, in software and in solutions for the education market, uh, if I'm correct. That's How right. has that experience helped you and Revolution Foods in terms of what you're doing? Well, so I have a history of working with startups and, and helping with growth. And so if you think about those two things to Revolution Foods, uh, my time at Revolution Foods is, has been about understanding public sector, uh, also understanding about where we fit in terms of, of the type of, we're not a low price provider. We are a high value provider. And so uh, a lot of work I, I did was thinking about pricing and also thinking about who our customers are. Not everyone wants healthy food. And so a lot of the change in how we approach revenue was thinking about who our customers should be. And, uh, trying to find those people, those people who are ready to provide healthy food for their constituents. And again, knowing public sector means I know processes well and uh, have been able to support how we grow faster and also how we pivot to talk to others and thinking about what stakeholder needs are. So we've done a lot of incredible growth in, in what I would consider tough times in a pandemic. So it's been a good ride and a good journey so far. Well, that's that's great to hear. I think that um, the more I hear about the success that you and your company are having in the market, the better I feel about our future and the health of our society. Right. So I think that you're doing a great thing for civilization. Thank uh, you. Um, bravo on that. Um, but you know, when it comes to real estate, and I, you know, everyone typically talks about, you know, when you want to buy a house or you want to move into a new neighborhood, are you close to schools? Uh, are you close to the, you know, subway or transportation? Are you close to grocery stores and food and restaurants? And I, I wonder if that's going to start changing, um, you know, the proximity to the things that we once deemed important, like those institutions, as I mentioned, um, because of companies like yourself that are, um, delivering food to people's homes, delivering um, fresh foods to to uh, to schools. So this wherever the school is located, you know the, the quality. If the school is in a bad neighborhood, the quality of the of the food is not bad necessarily anymore. Um, so, what do you what do you see in terms of the future of how people think about? Uh, proximity to food, uh, proximity to schools as decisions that they make when they decide on where to live? Sure. What I'll say is, is this. I think more and more people are recognizing that healthy food is important uh, and that uh, having access to healthy food is important as well. That's why you've seen the growth of, of Whole Foods. That's why you've seen the growth of a lot of, of that. I think people are also realizing that, that the ecosystem for food insecurity is more of an emergency one rather than a systemic one. And I think you're seeing changes in that as well. But what I would say is that that uh, that people are starting to, to vote with their feet if they can. Uh, and if they're not able to, they're starting to be vocal about the needs because uh, our needs uh, for healthy uh, food, uh, there's a tie between healthy food and, and uh, student outcomes. There is a tie between healthy food and uh, health outcomes. And so across the board, you see more and more people recognizing the importance and asking for what they need, regardless of whether they are, uh, they have that choice in terms of wealthier middle class or that they don't have that choice, but have a need. So what I think you'll see more of is um, 
uh, folks responding to that need in whatever uh, environment uh, that folks are in. So you'll see more and more people pushing in to uh, areas to provide the need. So who's doing it right? I mean, is obviously in America, it's a work in progress. Is there any other country, any other city that, that, be, that you're modeling that's doing what you say? I, I think that uh, in Europe, there may be more access to healthy food. Certainly, they're way ahead of us in terms of prepared foods uh, in grocery stores that people can, can pick up that have variety to them. Uh, I do think that the lobby has a lot of influence here, which probably prevents us from moving as fast as we should to healthy. So if you think about what the challenges are, the challenges are um, folks that are trying to prevent change uh, to support products versus the folks that are thinking about um, how this impacts the world. So there's more there's more B Corp work being done around the country. Um, so people pushing uh, the right things and a lot more people listening. So the more studies that come out that make it clear. Actually, I'll tell you that the pandemic helped um, as much as I hate the pandemic, the tie between unhealthy people and people that were susceptible to the pandemic is so directly correlated that I think it was a wake-up call for a lot of people that food and healthy are critically important to society. And I think that was a change across the the world, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, I I 100% agree agree with you on that one because I feel like in the pandemic, health was a priority. And then every minute there was a doctor on the, on the tube <laughs> talking about your health uh, and all that. And at the same time, you know, your Velveeta cheese commercials just seemed less and less relevant, right? I mean, it's just kind of like, it's just, like, so I, I see that there, there was an overwhelming um, advantage that large corporations with processed foods had over health because of just the sheer volume of, of, commercials and advertisement and messaging and all that stuff that's out there um, that overwhelmed the health conversation. Now during COVID health is, is everywhere. And then the voice of the conglomerates got a lot smaller. So this is the time. And so the question is because the world has shifted has health conscious companies have, have you guys taken advantage of it, taken the reins, and will continue this trajectory forward, or will perhaps we lose momentum and steam down the road and it goes back to No, no, it's coming. There are more and more studies that are coming out. As I said, COVID helped because it made it clear that less healthy people were more susceptible to COVID. What I think you'll see next is, is really this push for food as medicine. And what that means is right now, if you go to the hospital for a heart surgery and then you go home and you eat the same crap that you were eating before you end up back in the hospital and that costs the insurance company and and the hospital money and so they're starting to think about how do we prescribe food and send six weeks of food back uh, with the client so that they don't have to go back to the hospital so i'll say you're going to see a lot more food uh, work 
Well, clearly obesity is a big problem in this country, right? And I think COVID hit was a good example of people who were more obese were more susceptible to the virus. And the obesity leads to diabetes and 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 heart heart disease. And, you know, Whole Foods is a good example. I mean, there's a lot of healthy things you can buy at Whole Foods, but, you know, as they nickname it, Whole Paycheck, it's expensive, right? And for, for you know, for a less well-off family of four that's trying to get a meal, it's actually much cheaper to go to McDonald's and buy the meal than it is to buy all the ingredients, count in all the energy and cook the meal. And, and so that's what, that's the choice that they're making. It's an economic choice. What can we do in terms of education or sourcing to, to teach uh, people to not only know which meals to buy, but also to be able to cook the healthy meal at home, to do it inexpensively and to provide that for their family? So let me be clear, the federal government is starting to recognize how expensive this is, not just in terms of the price of McDonald's versus Whole Foods, but the longer term impacts of disease, of obesity, of, of all of these unhealthy folks. So you're seeing more and more push for, um, for health education. You're seeing more and more push for standards uh, that are higher quality because as a country and from a GDP perspective, we are better off with folks eating healthier. Uh, and so you'll continue to see that push. So it is education. It is awareness. It, uh, there will continue to be studies that make it clear that we need to shift direction. Well, here's to healthy kids, healthier adults, and a healthier America. And thank you for your fight on the front lines with Revolution uh, dun, Foods. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> hey, I'll drink to that. So do I have to stand uh, now or yeah, something? Yeah. <laughs> so, no, but really, but but seriously, thank you very much for your um, for your insight and, and your contribution, Alvin. You know, really appreciate you on the show. Um, it's been fun. Great to spend time with you guys. Been a pleasure having you. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Looking, looking forward to seeing great things for you and your company. You bet. Thank you. Take care now. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.